countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey, hey, it is now time for your favorite hangout, The Last Comic Shop! That's right, we are raking the leaves away from the front stoop and opening the shop up to newbies to help them find their way underneath the comic book tent and hopefully not have any acorns fall on their heads. Oh, yes, that would be painful! You know what would help avoid those acorns? A spidey sense. And we're keeping the shop open for those oldies that have enough spidey sense to read good spidey comic books. Ah, yes, and enough spidey sense to tune into our show every single week. And we thank you for tuning in this week as well. I'm the host with the most, as always, Andy Larson. I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Chad Smith and J.A. Scott. And as you might have guessed, we are doing a Spider-Man book on today's program. And it has nothing to do with the fact that there's a movie out. Yay! The movie already came out. The more fun stuff edition with 15 extra minutes. Oh, you're right. Just last weekend, they re-released Spider-Man No Way Home in the theaters again as a typical Sony cash grab or something. I'll have you know, Spider-Man 2.1, the original Sony Spider-Man cash grab with eight additional minutes is a fine, fine film and an even better version of the already classic Spider-Man 2. That's where you had J. Jonah Jameson in the Spider-Man costume standing (laughs) on the desk. All right. Who's going to see it? By the time this show comes out, I'll already have done it at least twice. (laughs) J.A., I I know I haven't seen it, and I probably won't. I mean, I might have taken the kids, but J.A., are you going to go see it again? Yeah, probably not. I haven't seen any of these re-releases. The only one I really want to see is X-Men Days of Future Past Rogue Cut, where they put back a whole side story that, that featured Rogue, because... Anna Paquin. No, that, that is a good one. I mean, I never saw the more Coolio version of Daredevil. Oh, the, the best only, one! The only one I've seen is actually the Richard Donner cut of Superman 2. Oh, because, like, I went out of my way to watch the Richard Donner cut because I was like, I, I really love Superman 2. It's probably in my top 10 favorite comic book-related movies. Towards probably the bottom half, but... I still like it a lot. Neo before Zod. See? And I you're, talking, see. you're talking DC. You also saw the Zack Snyder cut. Oh, I'm trying to block that. I was one of the bots that they got. Now, to I, not, only did I watch, not only did I watch the Zack Snyder cut, I then watched it. Justice is Grey. Oh, oh yes. no. The black oh. and white edition with less fun. Yes. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's interesting news. I mean, you've got uh, Ben Affleck saying he's going to be back not only for this new Flash movie that comes out next year, but he's coming back for Aquaman 2. Evidently, they're filming scenes with... So I don't know why they... Didn't they say they were done with the Snyderverse? Like, didn't Jim Lee come out and say, no more Snyderverse, we're not doing this anymore. And yet they keep on making movies with the Snyderverse... I, I don't I don't get it, guys. I, I don't I don't get it. I have no idea what they're doing over at DC. I almost feel bad. Warner <laughs> Brothers, they're just so bad at us. It's hard to it's hard to feel too bad. I mean, when they did make mis- all those Zack Snyder movies. Why kick a dog when it's down? It's not, I, I, so yeah, we are doing a Spider-Man book on today's program in honor 
of the fact that Spider-Man No Way Home was re-released in theaters last week. We're going to be doing a really great one, kind of getting us geared up for the Halloween season. I mean, there's already people that put their Halloween stuff out. It's after Labor Day, so they're already gearing up for Halloween. So we're doing Craven's Last Hunt, which in some circles is the most well-known Spider-Man story out there. I mean, I can think of other Spider-Man stories, but this is kind of like the dark night of Spider-Man stories, right, Chad? When you talk about Spider-Man stories, it's definitely in the top five that come to mind whenever people think about Spider-Man. Then it's weird to me just because it's such a, a departure from your standard Spider-Man story in a good way. But the Master Planner saga, the, the night Gwen Stacy died, those are uh, things that pop up at, you know beforehand for me. Well, I mean, I think that's a good conversation topic. Why don't we list some other Spider-Man stories that we all think about the moment we hear the word Spider-Man? And we'll start off with the person that probably has the shortest list, and that's J.A. Scott. But I'm sure there's still a couple stories that J.A. thinks about when he hears the word Spider-Man. Well, Chad just mentioned it. So, I mean, one of my favorites got to be the Master Planner saga. It's the story where Spider-Man's got to save Aunt May from the cancer and he's got all the building on top of him. And from Do- he's trying to get the, the potion from Doc Ock. And, you know, he goes through the panels trying to push the building over. And it's really the coming of age of Spider-Man stopping to be a kid and becoming an adult and a superhero. Classic some- Steve Ditko. So, <laughs> See, told you it's yeah. in there. Yeah. yeah. What, do, what? Any other ones? Spider-Man No More okay, storyline yeah. with, with the classic cover where he's Peter Parker walking away from Spider-Man on the cover. I'm I'm surprised you didn't say things like Revenge of the Sinister Six or Maximum Carnage or the Clone Saga. These were the books, you know, that were highlighting your your read piles back in the day. For me, uh. There are two really big ones that jump to mind immediately. One is uh, The Death of Gene DeWolf. And that one was one of those ones that I didn't really read until way later on. That's a really like kind of adult Spider-Man story that I I, I really like a lot. The other one that I, I really, really dig, uh, The Child Within. Gina DeMatteis' run on Spectacular Spider-Man all the way through Spectacular Spider-Man 200, the, the Harry Osborn arc where he becomes the Green Goblin and basically terrorizes Peter and then ultimately saves Mary Jane's life and Peter's life and dies in the process. It was heartfelt stuff. Yeah, and has ties to the story we're talking about today with all the vermin uh, yeah. portions of The Child Within. Boy, I, I completely forgot about it, but I don't know how I did. It's one of my favorite two issues of Spider-Man of all time, and that's Nothing Stops the Juggernaut. That is the best story ever. Hands down, Roger Stern was one of the best Spider-Man writers ever. He got the Hobgoblin. He got the kid that collected Spider-Man. He did some great work. And even though it's a, it, he was only there for a blink of an eye, it seemed, his stuff is genius from top to bottom. Yeah. So what do you got, Chad? I know your short list is probably a pretty long list, but what do you got? Yeah, the big ones that had an impact are some of the first ones I read. And so I always think of Spidey Goes Cosmic. Yes. That was right as I was getting into Spider-Man comics when that storyline was happening. And then you had both Eric Larson's Sinister Six stories. The first one, The Return of the Sinister Six, they ran through Amazing. And then whenever Eric Larson took over the adjective of Spider-Man, 
and it was the cyborg Spider-Man with the the robot arm, and you know it had all these other characters. Deathlock was crossing over into there. That was tons of fun. And then you already mentioned uh, the Child Within, and uh, that's where I learned to appreciate Sal Bushima. You know, and nine panels that look like they're repeating, but then that ninth one, something changes. Like whoa. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I I love that stuff. I love Brand New Day. Well, I, I was going to say I'm a bigger fan of a, a particular part of Brand New Day. I'm a huge fan of the Gauntlet when they just oh, decided yeah. to just bring out all of his rogues gallery one by one by one and just tell really great stories by different artists and, and writers. And that was a gold mine. like that could have gone on forever. With the Marcos Martin art and you had Mark Wade writing stories and you had the whole the Spidey Brain Trust. And it seemed like they were all bringing it. The Rhino story in that one was great. I don't know. Spidey's one of those characters. Whenever I talk about the differences between Marvel and DC, I always talk about how DC is great for trades and Marvel's good for long boxes. For me, so much of Spider-Man is that soap opera. You know, whether it's the relationship between Tombstone and Robbie Robertson and what they went through in the, the spectacular Spider-Man magazine. that he, They've rekindled that nowadays with uh, Spidey's roommate, Randy dating tombstone's daughter janice like spider-man for me is just the culmination of all those stories so it's hard for me to pick out those little slivers and say oh read this i'll read that one because it's like no you need to read issues one through 900 so essentially you're saying is you're there for the as the world turns aspect exactly ah, spider-man days of our lives like sands through the hourglass well, another guy that does great Spider-Man is J.M. DeMatties, and we're going to be talking about Craven's Last Hunt right after these commercial breaks, so stay tuned. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. We are Cheap Seat Reviews, the podcast that explores the Hollywood film industry for the greater good. The greater good. Join us each week as we dive into the depths of streaming movies for the greater good. The greater good. You can find us on Twitter at CheapSeatCast, Facebook.com slash CheapSeatReviews, and our website is CheapSeatReviews.Libsyn.com. All for the greater good. How can this be for the greater good? Shut it! Cartoon Dumpster Dive. I'm your host, Joel. And I'm your host, Andrew. Join us as we travel back in time to watch the garbage cartoons from your past. Will you remember them? Maybe. We painstakingly watch every episode of these cartoons to remind you that, hey, some things belong in the past. Our pain is your entertainment. Thanks for tuning in. And we're back to talk about Spider-Man... Craven's Last Hunt, a story that ran in six parts through Web of Spider-Man, which is 31-32, Amazing Spider-Man 293-294, and Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, issues 131 and 132. J.A., why don't you give us the creative team behind this last hunt? Craven's Last Hunt was written by J.M. Dematias with pencils by Mike Zeck. Bob McLeod covered the inks, and Mike Zeck and Ian Tetralt did the colors for all six issues. And Rick Parker handled the lettering. And, the, and it's got those gorgeous covers from Mike Zeck. Like, those, that's 
for me, one of the best parts of this entire series. Some of those covers are iconic, whether it's Spider-Man rising from the grave in his black costume. Which, I mean, the version we read had some some stuff on either end of it. It was the deluxe hard copy, I guess. Um, and I was reading one of the retro articles at the end about it. And so he did that cover first of the six because that was sort of the vision, you know, that was like the thing. I can see Spider-Man coming up out of the ground and then the entire story and everything else flowed from that image of Spider-Man digging himself out of the grave. What a, what a crazy image that was. All right. And that lends us to uh, the synopsis here. Mr. Andrew, why don't you give us the 10 cent synopsis for Craven's Last Hunt? Yeah. So this is, again, one of the most famous uh, Spider-Man stories out there. And it is really Craven's Last Dance. He grew up not in an Indiana town, but some place in pre-revolution Russia. And, you know, he's real old at this point. It's the first time I think that I realized how old Craven was. But he's he's obsessed with the fact that he's never been able to beat Spider-Man. And uh, I don't know if it's a sign of his already pending mental illness, which there are, you know, hints of as we, we talk about this particular story. His mother committed suicide. And, and so he, he wants to, to not only put Spider-Man in the ground and finish his hunt for Spider-Man. He, but then he wants to become a better Spider-Man to prove that he's actually superior, a superior Spider-Man. Where do we have heard that before? But um, in any case, he does. He, he ends up seemingly killing Spider-Man, although later on you find out he was just drugged or put into a zombie state or something through comic book Hocus Pocus. But ultimately, Craven it takes it upon himself to hunt down this villain named Vermin, who's like a half-man, half-rat creature, which I think originally appeared in issues of Captain America at the time. He was more of a Captain America baddie. But um, eventually, Spider-Man digs himself out from being buried alive and comes after Craven. And Craven's like, yeah, you fight Vermin. And I don't know. He doesn't do as well as Craven does. So Craven's like, yeah, we're cool. We're all right. And then, yeah, Spider-Man has to track down Vermin and bring him in. And Craven, he's not around after this story. Let's just say it like that. So that's the 10 cent synopsis. And, uh, listeners, before we get into today's show, just a, a fair warning, there are some mature themes that are present here, uh, including suicide. Please remember, they have recently changed the suicide hotline to 988. Please, if you're having issues, uh, don't hesitate to reach out uh, and get the help you need. But uh, with that said, uh, on to the show. Yes. So, in preparation for this week's show, we were deciding what Spider-Man book to read and and chad obviously had some thoughts about which one and i think the one that he picked is actually going to be his recommendation for later on spoilers uh, we already spoiled enough <laughs> but at the same time we we, we decided on craven's last hunt because if, if you haven't noticed in 2022 we've been doing a lot of comic books that are very well known uh again we did mouse we did the uh, crisis on infinite earths we did V for Vendetta. This was another one, I think. And and I I guess I I want to open it up to both of you guys to say, like, why do you think of all the Spider-Man stories out there, this one is so well known? Like, it is. I mean, like, this is like one of the gold standards when it comes to Spider-Man stories. But to Chad's point, 
This is very not the typical Spider-Man story we see. He does a wisecrack. It's very serious. It deals with serious things. I, I, I think that is why it's so well known because it's so outside the norm, especially for the time. It was it was quite groundbreaking. The fact that it's a very self-contained arc that doesn't deal with any of the greater Spider-Man universe, but yet is very emotional. When they originally pitched the story, it was just Spider-Man and Craven, and then where it fell in the timeline was after the marriage of Peter and Mary Jane. So they brought in the whole Mary Jane element, which I think elevates the story just to another level emotionally that he needs to get back to Mary Jane to get his new wife. And then, you know, they spread it out across all three titles They so that it wasn't just something that's happening within one Spider-Man title and the other Spider-Man titles, Spider-Man's, you know, flipping around and cracking wisecracks, as you say, and sort of being typical Spider-Man. So it was something that impacted all of the Spider-Verse at that time. Yeah, it's a mandate that you stopped and took notice. If you were reading any of the Spider-Man books, now you had to track them all down. But it did make sense because the story was so heavy. You know, they gave it that respect to say, no, we're not going to have all these other concurrent stories going on. Everything stops for this because this is a big deal. I mean, I, I, I was trying to think uh, off the top of my head whether or not there were any other major members of Spider-Man's Rose Gallery other than Green Goblin up to this point that had died in the pages of Spider-Man. I, I I couldn't think of any. I mean, there were times in which you thought Mysterio was dead and stuff like that, but I don't think anybody really... Again, Craven is one of the big ones. Like, he's a member of the Sinister Six. He was one of the Steve Ditko's characters from the first 20 issues, which I think are like the gold standard when it comes to Spider-Man rogues. And so not only to give you this tremendous story, but to just basically say, look, we don't think we can tell a Craven story better than this one. After this, like, there's no going back. Like, we can't really just put him in the jungle again and make him, you know, ride on the back of a triceratops or something you know what i mean yeah but they did that's one of the problems with modern spider-man comic books but that's a whole different thing right i think this story makes him instantly more villainous more complex and yet more human and somehow relatable all at the same time to do that is really good writing to be able to take a, a bad guy and make him even more evil and yet at the same time human <laughs> wow. Yeah, it, when you get to the final notes of the story, it's like, it's okay, Spider-Man, I won. Like, I, I'm okay. Like, you do what you're, you're going to do. You can come back, whatever. He had completed his mission that he had set out to do. It's so strange, and it's so off-kilter, and it's so powerful. You know, and it's a tough story to read, and it had ramifications in the Spider-Man books for years. You know, until they screwed it up. <laughs> It's hard not to to sell like how big of a deal this book was, and and I mean, it, and it makes sense from my perspective. I don't know if you could tell this story with a different villain other than Craven. The whole notion of Craven, what drives that character, what motivates that character in terms of uh, the hunt and the pride and the victory, almost. You know, that's that's what it's all about. Like he needs to prove not only that he can best Spider-Man, that, that he can be a better Spider-Man. 
that was a fascinating turn for a villain at the time. You didn't have people like the Joker saying like, oh, I'm going to become the next Batman because I can do a better job as the Batman. You didn't have that. It all makes sense to me because if you go through some, I don't know, 200 some issues before this one where you're just getting the tar beat out of you every 10 seconds by Spider-Man, eventually you'd become obsessed with being like, look, it, it can't be human. Like, it can't be. Like, it has to be something that is beyond my comprehension, and I need to tame it. Like, I need to tame my fears or or overcome them, which is really what the story is about. Agreed! Uh, <laughs> all right. You know what my, also my favorite part is, and J.M. DeMatties does it, I love the, the play on the Tiger Tiger poem, just replacing it with Spider Spider. Uh, but the fearful symmetry... Blake, you know, is it... I think it is. William Blake, William Blake, Tiger, Uh, Tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night. What immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? In what distant deeps or skies burnt the fire in thine eyes? On what wings dare he aspire? What the hand dare seize the fire? What shoulder? Oh, man, this is long. Yeah, and it is, it is. But you read it really great. (laughs) <laughs> and, and I think I'm, I'm sure all of our last comic shop fans appreciated that, but that just the way that the panels are laid out and everything builds too in this story, right? Like Spider-Man stays in the ground for two whole issues and you don't think he's coming back. You really don't like you think he's dead, right? I mean, I knew he wasn't, but like they really build that up that like he could be dead. Like, well, I like that his battle to get out of the ground sort of mirrors his battle in his mind to to overcome these things at the same time that Craven is out pretending to be Spider-Man. One thing that we haven't mentioned besides the covers in the Mike Zek art is, does this work if Spider-Man is wearing his red and blue costume? I don't think so. The black costume is so quintessential to this. And I would also point out, I really like what they've done with Craven's costume, because Craven being an original Steve Ditko, he didn't have the greatest character design. It was a little bit hokey, his oh. original costume. You didn't like his leopard pants? It isn't. It's not as good as Mysterio's design. That's the best one. Electro probably number two, but no, I agree. It's I, of all of his original rogues, I, I, I disliked his look the most. I, I, I never liked the mustache and his slick back hair and uh, that lion garb he was wearing. I don't know. It, but it, Jay is right. It so, only so, works in that black costume, though, because if you put Craven in the red and blues, like you're going to tell that's a big, beefy guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but plus the fact that black costume... It's almost like you put that on and it's like, here comes serious Spider-Man. Here comes noir Spider-Man. Here comes a Spider-Man from the shadows. And we can tell stories that deal with very mature things versus the red and the red and blues, which I'm sorry, like the red and blues are, are fun. It's almost like uh, the difference between telling a Superman story and a Batman story because you're like, Superman's red and blues. He's the hopeful character. He's the the exciting one. And, and, and Spider-Man puts on the black though. No, now he's the dark spider. Criminals immediately fear him. Yeah, see, I in my heart of hearts, I'm like Mary Jane. I'm traumatized by the black costume. I, I never like when he puts the black costume on. It makes me feel uneasy. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to like this. 
But uh, keep in mind, this story in particular came out in 1987. This is on the heels of Dark Knight Returns. This is on the heels of Watchmen. DC promoting comics is comics aren't just for kids. And, you know, there's a darkening there across the field of comics. But what separates this story from being like so much of the the dreck that came out of, you know, I was equated to like people trying to emulate Pearl Jam and Nirvana and just, ugh. That's how we ended up with grunge. That sucked. But uh, the thing that makes this story the opposite of that is that Jam DeMatties has so much of a sense of Spider-Man's humanity. And even him crawling out of the grave, that grave, that mirrors the Master Planner saga where Spider-Man has all that weight and all that responsibility. And it's the love of the people around him that motivates him to keep going. And then he also has, you know, the trauma. And even when Spider-Man is, you know, is off his rocker for being buried in the ground for two weeks. It's such a human reaction. It's it's not just dark for the sense of being dark. I mean, there's a dark tale to be told here, but it's done in such a a humane way. And even in some of the follow-ups, you know, you have Peter Parker dealing with the trauma of this storyline and with vermin and even leading into the child within, which would come 50 issues later after this. Vermin was still dealing with the consequences of this story. Like this story had a weight and had a humanity that separated it from your everyday Spider-Man fare and definitely set it miles ahead of so much of the other dark uh, adult themed comics that were coming out at the time. Yeah. So I looked back at part five. uh, That's amazing. Spider-Man 294 to see if it came with any sort of warning um, and maybe, you know, it was a different time, I guess. But that is the issue at the end where Craven blows his head off uh, yeah. with, with you know, the last sort of word bubble saying they said my mother was insane. And then you see a picture of his mother. You see him put the shotgun into his head, into his mouth. Uh, it's really graphic. It's it's disturbing. He's disturbed as a character. It's disturbing uh, to see it on the page. And it instantly brings the entire series, elevates it, if you will. I don't know. It makes it that much more serious. Well, and, and but to Chad's point, I think it, there's a counterbalance between like a scene like that and like I think just a few pages earlier, which actually was one of probably the nicest scenes I've ever seen of Craven. He stops Vermin from killing Spider-Man, lets Vermin go, but he says in no uncertain terms, Spider-Man's just a man. And you know what? He's actually a good man. And for the first time, he, he's just respecting Spider-Man for just being a, a good person. To Chad's point, that, that, that humanity that Spider-Man exudes, which you sometimes don't get with other dark characters. You don't get that with Punisher. He can't be like, oh, he was a good man in the end. No, he murders people. Like it, 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 Spider-Man stopped himself from killing Berman. That's what made Craven have to save him. I don't know. I, I just felt that that counterpointing with what eventually happens to Craven, I, I think it, it does make it very tragic. It's like this guy realizes in the end, like he is screwed up. And unfortunately, maybe that's the only way out for him. Or at least that's what he feels, I, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I think you know, he's old, as you said, too. So he's sort of dealing with age and it's the last hunt because he feels like he's dying, maybe. I mean, he's, he's old. I mean, if he if he lived through the 
October Revolution. That was in 1917. Now, I know comic books being comic books, they have wonky age brackets anyways, but 1917 is a long time ago. <laughs> right. Um, but I do think what you said is in Craven's mind, the spider has been separated from the man. And uh, now he sees Spider-Man as the man, not as the spider. It's no longer an abstract task. You know, it's one of those things where you get close enough and it's like, oh, wait a minute. This thing that I had built up in my mind, this thing that I had obsessed over, it's just a man. Right. There are other scenes in this book that are actually pretty graphic, too. If Craven hadn't jumped in at the last minute, you might have seen Mary Jane raped or at least beat up or something. These two dudes coming after her on, like, that rainy street. But then the, to juxtapose that, she's rescued by Spider-Man, and it's even, dare I say, more terrifying to see Craven as Spider-Man and, like, get that look of, like, wait, that's not him. Like, oh, no. Like, <laughs> it's terrible. And Yeah, because at that moment, she doesn't know where Peter is. He's been missing. Yeah. And then he finally comes back. And, like, immediately within, like, I don't know, a couple hours, he's like, nope, I got to go back out there. And she's like, no, you don't. You've been missing for two weeks. You are going to stay here. And then there's that scene in the in the window. He puts her hand by his face and then still goes out into the darkness to face the demons he has to. I uh, There's so much powerful stuff in this. You're right. This is why this is a story that people love, because it's great. From yeah. artwork to scripting to... But let's not sing the praises for the entirety of this. Let's talk about that opening scene where Craven punches a gorilla's head right off its body. <laughs> wow! It's, it's a gorilla statue, I will Is point it? out. It's a trophy. Yeah, they're trophies from his hunts. So they're... they're uh, thank you. Yeah, they're yeah. taxiderm. They're taxiderm yeah. trophies. Right. He, he literally knocked the stuffing out of it. I don't see any stuffing here. <laughs> uh, but you're right. He doesn't punch that, that monkey's head off. And it's just... <laughs> it was so weird to he, me. The reason why you can tell is because it, the first thing he throws is like the puma, right? And you see right. it fall on its back, but it's still in the pose. Yeah. It, it's obviously a frozen. It's their they're trophies. Still, that always, it, it was just a weird way to start your story there. Yeah, punch that the, head clean off. But eating all the spiders, like being in a room and just filling your mouth with spiders and the juice and the drippings, and then Spider-Man laying around in his tidy whities <laughs> That was more disturbing for me, personally. I don't need oh. to see his Hanes, please. Oh, yeah. Well, that was, yeah, that part was creepy good, you know. <laughs> well, you know what also is creepy good? Our rating for Craven Last Hunt. I'm sure it's going to be something that you'll want to stick around for. So, right after these commercial breaks, stay tuned. Has this ever happened to you? You're in bed, drifting off, and suddenly think, Who would win in a tug-of-war match between Superboy and Merlin? Did Marvel ever try to make a long-haul trucker into a superhero? How would it work out if I named my dog after a D-list supervillain? The answers in order are Merlin. Yes. And amazing. I'm Jessica. And I'm Mike. And we host the podcast Ten Cent Takes, a show that looks at weird, silly, and cool moments from comics, 
and how they're woven into the larger fabric of history. Moments like the time Superman shilled for Radio Shack. When Archie got tempted by the devil. Oh, and then there was that time that DC Comics gave a superhero AIDS in an effort to be topical. It's always weird around here, but we'd like to think it's also interesting. So come with us and commit random acts of pop culture archaeology, one issue at a time. If you'd like to learn more, head over to TenCentTakes.com. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our ratings, where we're going to take one last hunt to find a one out of four scale that would fit this show without being too dark or serious. So hopefully J.A. picks something like Stuffed Gorillas. (laughs) Parallel Gravestones. Something snappy. Rat smashing boots. What, what What's our round out of four scale this week? It would be easy to go dark with this. It's heavy material. Sometimes you need to step back and you need a bit of perspective. I did mention that I really liked the new Craven costume design. So therefore, we're going to go with one out of four leopard loincloths. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Some for the ladies. That's right. Ow! Which... Is more than he wears many of the scenes of this book. <laughs> There's a lot of nudie duty craven floating around in this one. Oh, yes. He loves to chomp on bugs, buck ass naked. That's his kink, buddy. Anyways, Chad, you're a Sp- Spider Man aficionado, uh, so we're going to let you go first. This was also, you wanted to read other books other than this one. Is that going to affect your rating here? I did. It always kind of bothers me that this is one of the top Spider-Man stories, not because it isn't great, because it is. I mean, the art is wonderful. The covers are disturbing. Uh, the story that, you know, y- you have those drum beats. This collection we read had the first appearance of Craven, and there's a scene where Craven's pounding on a drum. And in that 60s style, Spider-Man's like, oh, that rhythmic drumming is trying to throw me off. Ah! <laughs> like, but this story was just like that. Like, whether it was the gravedigger, you know, they would just show those occasional panels of the gravedigger digging, digging the grave for Spider-Man and then digging the grave for Craven. You know, the, the parallel panels here. Anytime Craven is smiling in this book, there's so many parts about this that are so unnerving. And it is really well done, but so much more of a Craven story than a Spider-Man story for me. I guess that's why it bugs me that it's like always in the top Spider-Man stories. It's hard to argue that it's anything but a a, a great story. You have to go for, what are we doing for? Loincloth. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the perfect combination and the fact that J.M. DeMattis as a writer was someone that carried the effects of the story with Spider-Man for a long time. And as a longtime Spidey writer, he had the opportunity, you know, to go back and have callbacks and, and make this really have the same impact as a death of Gwen Stacy. This really stuck in the Spider-Man lore. So it's spot there is deserved. All right, J.A., what is your rating? Yep, I have to give it four out of four loincloths. Um, it was eye opening for me. How serious, how dark it was how batman-esque and and i think the it's very apropos the comparing it to dark knight turns they bring out the true horror of of vermin and and what he is i like that craven becomes sort of honorable and tragic at the end and i love that they don't just treat it 
going forward until, of course, they messed it up. But uh, that the trauma that Peter Parker has to go through, you know, being locked away in a essentially a coma, dead to the world, and the PTSD that he suffers because of that informs not just his character, but a lot of the storylines going forward. I think I can see why it's considered one of the greatest stories. The artwork is incredible. You you were talking about the drum beat and the gravedigger. There's also the thunderstorm and there's all this thunder always coming in. Kakroom, kakroom. And then I think that ends when Craven kills himself. That's the last boom you hear. Just done so well. I love the choices they made as editors, uh, as, we, as we mentioned, to put it across all three titles, to make it that this is Spider-Man, th- this, these six issues are going to stop everything else that's going on, regardless of continuity in Web of Spider-Man and Spectacular Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man. This is, this is the story going on right now. Yeah, I, I think just like we did Mouse last week. That was a unanimous four out of four book. This is too. I mean, we're, we're knocking it out of the park this year with some of our picks. You know, maybe Chad's uh, end of the year wrap up when he gives our grades is going to be easy for him because most of our books will be unanimous four out of fours. But it's tough. I mean, you, you got to call it as it is. This is a four out of four. This is one of the best Spider-Man stories ever. And I feel like it's one of the best because of... I, I don't know how to how to phrase it, but like almost like editing. You know how a lot of people say that the trench scene in Star Wars was saved in the editing room? That it could have been just like, you know, any other dogfight in space, but because of the certain shots that they picked and the in the in the way that they uh lined them up, it, it told a more convincing story. That's that's what you get here with these six issues. This could have been told by a different uh, artist uh writer team. And it could have not had anywhere near the effect that this story does. And it's because of the subtle notes. The Again, using William Blake's poem, Spider-Man blacks out before you see Craven shoot him. So, And then the next thing you know, he's being put in the ground. Oh my gosh, Like, did, did he kill him? Like, I don't know. Like, what's going on here? And, and oh my gosh, the scene in the sixth issue of this, where after being... Buried alive for two weeks, Spider-Man has to go into the sewers underground again, and he's climbing through the sewer pipe, and he's just like, no, 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 I'm I'm not back in the coffin, I'm not back in the grave, I'm just in this dirty sewer pipe, but, like, he's messed with. I think that's the only thing that I I, I would have potentially dinged it, is, like, Spider-Man doesn't seem as pissed as he should be, like, he does, like, there's moments when he does, but, like, seriously, he was, he was buried alive for two weeks, he should have knocked Craven out the first moment he saw him. Like, well, he's more than pissed. He's broken. I guess that's what it comes to. Is he's he's not even thinking straight anymore. Like all he knows is he has to confront Craven, but he doesn't know what he's going to do once he gets there. Like it's the same old like, what are you doing, you bad guy? It's like almost on instinct. And I guess that's the only way. So even I guess maybe yeah, that's brilliant too. So it's a four. You should read it. And there's a lot of great stories that come after this. You can get it in this deluxe edition, which has a lot of great stories. You not only get Craven's first appearance, you get Spider-Man's first fight against Vermin in a team-up with Captain America, which <laughs> has the photo cover. Horrible cover. Horrible uh, cover. 
I just want to point out that that photo cover is even worse than it sounds. <laughs> An image of Manhattan. They've got these images of Spider-Man and Captain America as actors. And then they've, like, literally, it looks like they went and scissored them out and put them on the background. Oh, yeah. Look, look at Spider-Man's foot. You want to yell at Rob Liefeld. <laughs> These are real people that don't have feet. But uh, it also looks like Spider-Man's head is drawn in. Like, the, they didn't get the lines quite right, so they added lines. It's just, it's all sorts of bad. <laughs> but the story's good. It's also written by J.M. DeMatties. Plus, you get Soul of the Hunter, the sequel book, where basically Spider-Man uh, fights to save Kraven's soul. Um, Which is not as good. I, I thought they went back to the well one too many times on that. Well, it was weird to seeing Mike Zeck, who's a classic Marvel artist, obviously trying to like imitate a Todd McFarlane style, which was in vogue at the time. Yeah, uh, you know, on the the red Spider-Man costume, it was right. just unnerving. But I mean, that's a good way to pick it up, though, because you get some bonus material. So if you've never read it before, pick up the deluxe hardback edition because you get some bonus content, which I really do think uh, makes for a nice collection. And some other great things for your bookshelf includes our recommendations. Yes, on the last comic shop every single week, we like to give you other comic books that you can pick up in addition to Craven's Last Hunt, the deluxe edition, at your local comic book shop today. You can also get Craven Last Hunt and issues, although that's really hard, because those are pretty pricey, I think, at this point. But there are also other trades, like this story's been reprinted a ton of times. But something that hasn't been reprinted a ton of times is... Uh, chad's recommendation this week because right. it just recently came out so yeah i have a, a chip on my shoulders i feel our podcast has wasted an opportunity because this week we could have covered amazing spider-man issues one to nine hundred i'm not reading that much i got I, a life but the trick is it's only six actual issues they recently rebooted the Amazing Spider-Man story with Zeb Wells and John Romita Jr. and Scott Hanna on art. Uh, and they had this really great story about Spider-Man going up against Tombstone. I had alluded to it earlier. Robbie Robertson's son, Randy, is asking uh, Janice Lincoln for her hand in marriage. And so while that's going on, there's a crime war happening. And the story opens up and Spider-Man has screwed something up and everybody hates him now. Aww. And then it led into the anniversary issue where issue number six of this new series doubles as the legacy issue 900. And it's Spider-Man as part of the Sinister Seven. Spider-Man and the original Sinister Six going up against the super adaptoid that has all the Sinister Six powers. And it's one of those things where it was Ed McGinnis and a handful of other folks worked on this one on the art team in addition to Zeb Wells writing it. But it's one of those stories that shows that Zeb Wells understands what makes Spider-Man tick. And for me as a Spider-Man reader, I've gone on record about Dan Slott, who I'm sure, you know, there are lots of Dan Slott fans, but my favorite Spider-Man stories he did were the ones where it was Dr. Octopus's Spider-Man, because I Dan Slott has a different Peter Parker in his head than I do. And then Nick Spencer, as much as I love Nick Spencer, who was the other Spider-Man writer who picked up after Slott, so much of, of his stories devalued the life of characters. We're talking about Craven's last hunt and, you know, what they did with Craven slot and Spencer, they've brought back so many people as clones. And it's almost like the X-Men books where life doesn't have any value because they'll bring people back, whatever. 
But uh, Zeb Wells picks up the pieces from there. And sure, you have Craven is back. Sure, the original Electro is back. But he still manages to understand what makes Spider-Man tick and what makes him so special. And so I'd recommend if you are looking for great Spider-Man stories, don't hesitate to hop on to the latest go-round that just started a few issues back. You could read issues one through 900, and then I think it goes back to seven the next issue. But uh, yeah, it's good stuff. And some more good Spider-Man comes from our other co-host, Jay Scott, who's got an omnibus for everyone. You know me, you know my omnibus. Omnibuy, omnibuses. I'm going <laughs> omnibuy. Uh, this one has part of that 1 to 900 Amazing Spider-Man run, specifically the part where David Michelini and Todd McFarlane combined from Amazing Spider-Man 296 to 329. You get some classic villains come back. Todd McFarlane really busting his chops with the Amazing Spider-Man. Peter Parker and Mary Jane are hip happening couple living in Chelsea in New York. She's stepping out as a supermodel and and they're they're living their best lives as 20 somethings, I guess. I don't know. Um, but you get the return of all these classic old school villains. Doc Ock, Sandman, Lizard, Green Goblin, Scorpion, Captain America shows up a bit, Sabretooth for an issue. And then of course this is the uh, the introduction and first battles with Eddie Brock's Venom. So just some great early Todd McFarlane Spider-Man, sort of where he made his name. And then he went on and he did the Spider-Man book, which people thought was too dark. And then he went and did Spawn, which people thought was too dark. So <laughs> this was the original. It's a bit more fun. And you get that great... Spider-Man 300, 301, where it's essentially the the front and back bookends. You get Spider-Man 300 with the black costume, Spider-Man 301, the exact same pose, but the reintroduction of the blue and red costume. And then with the big Todd McFarlane eyes and everything, this is the the original of that. Yeah. So which uh, which omnibus cover do you have? Do you have the blue and reds or I, do you have the black? Unfortunately, and the I have the I have the blue and reds. I wish I had the black and white because it's my favorite costume. I, I, I will point out that, that the omnibus I had was a gift from you. So it is your fault. You know what it is. It's you're getting back at me for giving me your blue and red Spider-Man Secret Wars action figure. Oh, yes, I did. I eventually got it back, but that was a no-brainer trade. I gave you the blue and reds for the black. It was fine. I, I'll take that trade any day of the week. And one other thing that I'm going to take every day of the week is more Black Hammer out of uh, Dark Horse uh, Comics. I've been a fan of the Black Hammer series that's been going on over there. Jeff Lemire's brainchild, where he basically took his spin on Golden Age and Silver Age characters such as Mary Marvel and Slam Brady and Martian Manhunter and, and all those characters. And uh, if you've never read Black Hammer, there's another opportunity for you to get on board that Black Hammer train uh, with the recent release of The Last Days of Black Hammer. This is done, again, by Jeff Lemire, who's the brainchild of this entire universe, uh, with art by Stefano Simone. 
And I really love his art on this. Not to say that Dean Ornstrom's art on the original Black Hammer series isn't great too, but I really like the art on this particular series because this is really a prequel. And that's why I think you can jump on a Black Hammer if you pick up this book, because it really does set the table for what happens in the Black Hammer series and then an Age of Doom, which tell the entire story of what happens after their fight with the anti-god. But this really tells the story of Black Hammer, who was kind of the most powerful member of that superhero group that you're introduced to and dies in the first issue of actually the Black Hammer series proper. So you really don't get to know him very well. You get to know his daughter a lot through that series. But in this particular uh, series, you get to really know him and what made him tick and why all of the superheroes were devastated when he died, why they were kind of leaderless, why his daughter eventually would try to span the dimensions to find her long lost father. And it's got some great stuff. Like you pick up the first issue and it kind of like throws you into what would have been like issue 500 of Justice League with the Hyper Guild War conclusion. So like you get to find out like, oh, this was supposed to be their last battle. No, no, it wasn't. And he was supposed to hang up his boots and he gives his hammer to somebody else. Nope, he's got to pick up the hammer again and fight the anti-god and eventually perish. It's it's tragic. It's wonderful. Some people might think of these as just like the dollar general versions of some characters you already know. I always look at it as an opportunity for you to tell an interesting story without being bogged down with all the continuity. So if you can tell like analogs to these classic characters, great. Just do it tell these good stories like again the black hammer series or the more recent last days of the black hammer so what we hope is it's not the last days of the last comic shop we're going to continue to go for many many uh, shows from now uh, especially starting next week where for the rest of the month of september we're going to have guest hosts yay and a lot of them are actually comic book artists and writers so starting next week with Alan Dunford, who's the wonderful writer of a great series called Pocus Hocus, who supported his Kickstarters in the past. You can hear him come on this show. He gets to pick the read pile. He gets to talk about his great stuff. Uh, and we hope that you will rate, review, and subscribe to The Last Comic Shop so you don't miss that. You need to do that. Go out to our website, www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. And you can find us on the socials at Last Comic Shop, where you could find things like weekly polls or Golden Age covers to help tuck you in at bed at night, or what we're picking up at comic shops, or whatever we want to talk about. Sometimes we have pictures of the baseball game the other day, uh, whatever. Uh, and it's all down there on the Twitter and Instagram at Last Comic Shop. And if you need help finding that, you can always go can always go back to our home base, www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com, where they can find what else, J.A.? Well, we have links to our merch store, where this week we have a special on loincloths. Ooh. <laughs> wow. That's right. Uh, With a strategically placed Last Comic Shop logo. <laughs> but in all reality, uh, we are entering into the... Uh, Halloween season, so be on the lookout for our special Halloween Last Comic Shop t-shirt uh, or mug or uh, umbrella or tote bag or whatever else you want on the merch store. I still think that we could get that loincloth. I think it would sell. <laughs> do they still do the face masks? 
Yeah, that's all you'd need to do is just get the face mask and then three. Maybe that back. would fit you, but I don't know if it would fit me. Oh, well, you know, people have been clamoring for the last comic shop calendar. <laughs> do you mean a colander? Like one of those things that drains no, the water out? Like, like, we can like put our logo on those. I think people no. like that better. Chad Smith and the loincloth with a Dalmatian in front of the firehouse. <laughs> Even I say no thank you. Yeah. Any case, what do we do say, though, when it comes to where you can find these books uh, that we just recommended, Chad? Yeah, so if you want to find these books we recommended, including the Todd McFarlane, Dave Michelini, Spider-Man Omnibus. Oh, that's a great one. So many good stories. The Spider-Man Hobgoblin. All right, I'm not going to talk about it. You could read Jeff Lemire's The Last Days of the Black Hammer. You could read... The new Amazing Spider-Man series that started with uh, rebooted issue number one and made it all the way to 900 within a matter of six issues. Or you could pick up that perennial Spider-Man classic, get ready for that Craven the Hunter movie that's supposed to come out here in another year or two with Craven's Last Hunt. All that and more is waiting for you at your local comic shop. Don't know where that is? Go to www.comicshoplocator.com and you can find one near you. All right. Until next week, I was the host of the most, Andy Larson. I was joined by Chad Smith and J.A. Scott, as always. And we hope that you come back. Until then, stay safe. Stay in a Stay in a Stay in a Oh, my. The Craven is really, really old. <laughs> so if he was like a baby, even if he was a baby, like one year old in 1917, he would have been like in his 70s. No, he's an old, he's an old person. In the 80s? But now he has the serum. Yeah, exactly. The jungle stuff. His jungle potions. Potions okay. and lotions. Don't you know that, that keeps the rheumatism away? Comic Shop was a 2022 Black Angus production.